Hello and welcome to Galactic Heartbeats, the first ever episode of this podcast. I'm Bright Star. I'm Dr. Radiant. And immediately I had to burp. <laughs> okay, that's what happened. All right. Okay. So, but this podcast is about aliens, mm-hmm. you, unidentified anomalies, phenomena. I can't even say it yet. UAPs, technology, and the connections between literature, mythology, and humans in the universe. Okay. <laughs> it's really nerve-wracking it to start is. a podcast. So how about this? No, no, we keep going. Oh, okay. Yeah. So how about what? <laughs> um, well, what I was going to say, actually, was what if we recorded the bulk of the podcast and then did the intro later we could do that yeah yeah we'll do the intro later yeah okay (laughs) let's get right to it then okay (laughs) um so but for real we did we did fall in love with science fiction separately Mm -hmm. and then what on our owns and then what we question there's a great question in there so what made you fall in love with sci-fi at the start like what Mm. was enticing to you to me it it's just the magnificence of the galaxy and all of the different spiral galaxies um all the different kinds of galaxies in the universe Mm -hmm. and all the different universes yeah, so you like that. It's just, like, so infinite and layered. Yes. Mm-hmm. When did you, like, first realize, like, that about the universe? Hmm. I think at night when I laid in bed as a little kid. Mm-hmm. Just, like, closing my eyes and imagining. You know when you close your eyes when you're, like, a little kid and you're just, like, playing with your eyes? Yeah, like, you're kind of, like rolling them yeah and i like yeah, squint them in. yeah and i would see these little weird squiggly things oh yeah and they're like moving around kind of and they and are like, neon a little bit. yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what is that what is that i think they're like like bacteria or something My i'm sorry <laughs> I don't know. well to me then it seemed like it was something out there in the universe and i think that was the first time okay mm-hmm. what okay. about you what made you mm. fall in love with sci-fi? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I think I just always remember as a kid being interested in it. I can't remember what specifically brought me in, but I definitely had this uh, Lego set that was like a Mars Lego set um, and I had no really interest in the astronaut Lego set, but I loved the aliens and the world of Mars. Um, and so I spent a lot of time like building it um, and being really like interested. I remember looking up like the mythology of like 
Mars. I remember my, my dad said that it was like planet of war. And I was so confused because I felt such a love towards this like Mars planet, you know, and this alien like creature that was in my Lego set. Like I just thought we were like pals, you know? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we should probably mention, you know, what we do as our day jobs, oh, I guess, yeah. mm -hmm. which kind of connects to the Lego set. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. So I, um, I'm a support specialist for autistic kids. Um, I've worked with autistic people my whole adult life. Um, and it's also, I'm also autistic. And so, um, there's a, yeah, that's pretty much it. Great. Yeah. And I am the director of educational technology at an elementary school. And so we have this combined interest in accessibility mm -hmm. for students in using technology mm -hmm. and specifically lately both totally geeking out on artificial intelligence. Oh, absolutely. It's such a game changer for neurodivergent people. Like it really levels out the playing field, as they say. Yeah, mm -hmm. we have been experimenting with it. Um, I don't know. You you have said that I, I'm neurodiverse too because I have anxiety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so like having that experience and using ChatGPT, it really does help me with some forms of emotional regulation mm -hmm. throughout the workday. I mean, there's so much that comes up in the workday. It's like, you know, I keep, the thing I keep being told, I don't know if you are re relating to this, but is like, keep your, your work and your personal life separate. And I don't really know how to do that because I'm still a person at work. I still have feelings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and like my, my, my life experiences relate to those feelings. And so things come up at work that, you know, no one maybe necessarily intends to, but it does affect you. Yeah. And I've definitely used ChatGPT as emotional regulation for those work moments of like, okay, so how do I, how do I respond to this mm -hmm. when they come up in different settings? And, for autistic people, that's a big deal because we often say the wrong thing unintentionally, and that can lead lead to job loss. Honestly, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So we're gonna also note that we don't mind pauses mm -hmm. for thinking, and that's something that is really important to both of us because we're feelers. We're empaths. <laughs> uh-huh. And so it was kind of funny on our first date, I said to Raina, like pretty much at the first pause, I guess. Mm -hmm. I was like, and just so you know, FYI, I don't mind long pauses between thoughts or conversations. I don't feel like I need to fill the space. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to feel like you need to fill the space. I can, I like just being able to kind of like think and gaze together. So there may be some, what 
what others might call an awkward pause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you responded with... Oh, yeah. Then I responded. I was like, oh, I like awkward pauses. I need them. I think something to that degree. I just was the last... Sorry, listeners. I was lost in that moment. I was thinking about it. But, yeah, then I said I was autistic. Um... Um, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of how you Mm -hmm. came out to me on the first date. Yes. You're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm autistic, so I definitely Mm -hmm. appreciate the long pauses. Yes, that's what I said, (laughs) yeah. And then we just moved, we just kept going through the conversation, Mm -hmm. and at one point, you were like, you had mentioned science fiction, Mm -hmm. or what you were reading. Yeah, probably something like I was reading, yeah. I think, oh, I was talking about Becky Chambers, a uh, long uh, way to an angry planet, or something like that. It's a beautiful long title, um, and I think I was probably answering, "What's your favorite book?" And I think that was probably what led to it. And I was trying to describe it, and in that book, there's also a beautiful love story between um, an AI that lives in a wall um, with a with an astronaut like character. So that's you know, it's fun that that's all part of it too. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's. I think I said something like, yeah, it's just like about living in space. I, and I love space. Mm-hmm. And so then, so yeah. And so during an awkward pause, went, or bright star. We were trying, we'll have to edit that out in post. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Um, bright star said, so you like space. <laughs> yeah, that was my cool <laughs> line on the date. and so more on that later Uh um should we get to our first topic yes Mm -hmm. okay so we were talking about researching different things Mm -hmm. um and sharing them on the episode and so do you want to go first oh yeah i'm really excited to share this with you okay so the reason why i think we started even wanting to do this podcast is we saw this really extraordinary documentary on Netflix called Encounters um, in October. And uh, we had a wedding that we went to just as we finished it, maybe a day or two after we finished it. And the wedding's theme had aliens in it. So everyone was kind of dressed in what people perceived as alien costumes. Yes, I believe it was a space disco cowboy Mm -hmm. wedding yes exactly um and so we were so excited to talk to other people in their alien space disco cowboy costumes about this phenomenal documentary encounters (laughs) and i kid you not it was hysterical like bright star and i were excitedly sharing this documentary and people in 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 alien costumes were looking at us like yeah but you know, that's all just like conspiracy theories or just disbelief about this kind of incredible documentary that explores people interacting with UAPs, with with extraterrestrials. I know. And, and... We couldn't believe we it. We couldn't believe it. Um, we really wanted to dig into the truth. Yes. <laughs> yes. We thought this would be like a collective learning. Yes. <laughs> And so uh, that's where the podcast really started kind of forming. We wanted to have a space to really talk about how everything connects. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not just 
as they say, little green men. Yeah. Uh, it's not just um, paranoid people thinking that aliens exist. Um, we saw some incredible, I think Bright Star will talk about it later. Um, um, what is it called? Cap, like the government official. The congressional hearing. Congressional hearing, thank you. Um, yes, I made Dr. Radiant mm -hmm. watch an entire congressional it hearing. It was like four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It was incredible. <laughs> it really was incredible. It was worth the four hours. It goes by like nothing. I know. Um, Three military veterans uh -huh. talking about non-human biologics. Mm -hmm. Just even hearing them say those words. And then David Fravor, mm -hmm. the military pilot, retired pilot. Lovely. We love him. Oh, my God. We oh, just, we so just love his personality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's so dreamy. Mm -hmm. We believe everything he says. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's because he's so genuine. But I don't... Anyway, okay. Bright Star, we'll talk about that later. It's yeah. just so exciting. It's just so exciting. Okay. And it just brings me to... So we, we started going on this journey together. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, You start really kind of connecting how everything goes together in our world. I don't know. You probably, everyone can feel that, I think, sometimes. You know, like how those, like, coincidences or deja vu, um, you go a little deeper than that. And, and you start really seeing how everything flows with each other and energy is connected. Um, and so it's not like big leaps to go from science to stories and, um, on what stories often come from are often rooted in is mythology and folklore. And through this kind of recent, I've always been interested in, um, folklore. I, I wanted to study it further in school, um, I think like folklore is how we communicated to each other across communities at a time where we didn't have access to tech, to anything like that. Um, and somewhere down the line, we decided that folklore was not true. Um, which is messed it up. Which is strange. And I actually found the answer to that. Well, I'll reveal that later oh. on. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I want to share the thing that I found so exciting. I've been, I've been teasing Bright Star about it for weeks now. Um, could not, I like found out about it and I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. Um, and so now I finally get to share it. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. All right. So listeners, if you feel comfortable closing your eyes, do. Or not if you're driving. Not if you're driving. That would be really bad. But if you have the opportunity to, just imagine the year 743 CE is one of the first um, really recorded sightings of UAPs. What? And not only UAPs, but also extraterrestrials or non-human biologics. Okay. The sighting happened in Ireland, of course. Um, 
and it was happened at a festival. It was a festival that happened every single year. Um, it was a really big festival for this community. They had weddings, they had funerals. Um, it was also kind of like uh, an Olympics of its time. And so there's a lot of people at this sighting. And what this collective people saw was three ships in the sky. Um, and... Mm, sorry. No, don't be sorry. This I'm so is, excited. I want to know where did they, like, record this? Mm -hmm. Is it, like, inscribed on a stone? Mm-hmm. So... It was recorded through um, oral oral tradition. Awesome. Okay. Um, and so the the it became quite a myth over time because um, they did not have it written down in any way at the start. Yeah. Um, but I think like to note here is like it was seen by very many people, um, and. I know I need to be a lot. It's hard. No, I got. We got this. Three ships is reminding me of the discs flying over the water mm -hmm. in 1947. Mm -hmm. That was the early. I think one of the earliest like U.S. documented ones. Maybe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, 1947, it was actually Moscow, Russia. Oh. And they called it silvery objects, like, reported flying saucers. Mm -hmm. And they were, like, kind of saucers skipping across the water. So that reminds me of ships in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and what was, like, what I found interesting, so, they, these ships in the sky, like, what happened with the mythology of it, um, which I found really interesting, was, um, they imagined in the, in the oral traditioning, so I don't know, I don't want to say imagined because, um, through the eras of retelling like it's hard to know like the details are added and details are lost because it's trying to be seen through what we understand in that time period as well mm -hmm. and if this was like one of our first sightings as like a collective in our collective human conscience um details are going to be laid over it to what we can understand but what is important to remember is that ships were seen in the sky like by a large gathering of people mm. and so there's this really beautiful poem um that Seamus Haney uh wrote um that speaks about this myth um in a much more eloquent way <laughs> Ooh, yes but uh so I will share this with you all so it's called lightnings and it's uh the annals say when the monks of Clonconoys were all at prayers inside their oratory, a ship appeared above them in the air. 
The anchor dragged along behind so deep. It hooked itself into the altar rails, and then, as the big hole rocked to a standstill, a crewman shimmied and grappled down the rope and struggled to release it, but in vain. This man can't bear our life here and will drown, the abbot said, unless we help him. So they did. The freed ship sailed, and the man climbed back out of the marvelous as he had known it. What? So, did the alien climb down the rope, or did that, the human? The oh. alien is how the folklore goes. People are seeing the ships. Floating in the sky, and then... And some retellings of it, the alien is, like, choking for air, it seems like. Um, and some other retellings of it, um, they're okay, they float, and then they go back up. Um, but it was noted by this collective of people that not only was it ships, but non-biologic humans being visible within the ship area. Um, some retellings of it, some... Folklores. There's so many of them that has happened since the original sighting. Like we have no way of knowing what that tr what true true sighting was. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it was also noted um, that the three ships appeared in a triangle formation in the sky. Mm -hmm. Which, as we've been learning more about UAPs, um, there's often triangle formations as their groupings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One called it a flying Dorito. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, the ship is a triangle, and they're in a triangle formation. Right, and, like, and like that just goes again just to show, like, perception, and I don't know if you've ever experienced something maybe scary and then try to share it later. Your details are different, um... As, as your knowledge changes and yeah. as your understanding of how the world operates cha yes. changes. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's been hidden mm -hmm. from the public because they're afraid of how our consciousness will change and there are certain military officials or generals who have had these experiences and then, well, not even military people only, but... Some of the accounts, like the one in Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. On Encounters, the Encounters documentary. Yes. Mm -hmm. The Zimbabwe episode of the Encounters documentary on Netflix is amazing. Mm -hmm. We wish there were more episodes. There's just four, but it they span different parts of the world. Um, they do, like, a 2008 Texas town. Mm -hmm. then a Welsh village, mm -hmm. then there's Japan, and, like, I think the last one's Zimbabwe. I don't know the order. The last one's Japan, but oh. um, the Zimbabwe really captures you, I think. like As being a teacher, mm -hmm. because it happens on a school um, ground, mm -hmm. and all the children see it, and the head of school... In that documentary, shares how she's seen it, too. Yes, and she didn't believe the kids at first. She was really like, these kids are telling a tall tale. 
And then she had her own experience just a couple weeks after their experience. Yeah. And she remained at the school. Mm-hmm. And she, like, stayed strong. and But it's, like, withering her spirit a bit. Yes. And some of the other people who have had experiences in this documentary they they talk about just like going crazy like they mm-hmm. they having an existential crisis I, yeah yeah i think like we can't understand what that does to because of how this reality has been hidden from us for so long we haven't been given an opportunity to even grow that part in our mind that allows us to understand and think about these beings so close to us all the time. Like when we when we get really into this, you're going to understand how everywhere they are, mm-hmm. um, which is why it's so shocking that that we do have so much evidence, um, and it's and and so people have a fear in this community. Uh, who have seen non-biologic humans, UAPs, that they're not going to be believed because it's crazy, you know, they'll be told. Um, But I think, like, especially those who have experienced it, they experience having an existential crisis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ridicule became sanctioned. Mm -hmm. I wrote that Mm -hmm. as a quote. Mm -hmm. Um. From the Stevensville, Texas one, when two F-316s were seen zooming after eight lights mm-hmm. in the sky that was noted by multiple people, if not hundreds, like in the hundreds, town. Hundreds, yeah. Um, they, you know, said there was an aura around it mm-hmm. and um, and all this. Oh, by the way, I should say, on this podcast, we're going to call each other out when we say problematic things. And we both have already said crazy. Yeah. And we don't think that's a nice or good word mm-hmm. to say because mm-hmm. it's been weaponized against mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're trying to get it out of our vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hopeful thing about the Zimbabwe case... With the children, mm-hmm. or this might have been in a different documentary about mm-hmm. children in a schoolhouse um, that saw something. I'm not sure if it was the same one or not. I think maybe you're thinking of the Welsh one because I think that happened near a school as well. Well, whichever one it was, there's video of this one girl, and she's clearly just explaining what she just saw and um she didn't even have the language for it Mm -hmm. um, but she said she felt the information coming to her not like a whisper not a voice but it just goes into her body and she just knows these things and it and it's a sense of like peace and that they're not here to harm Mm -hmm. um and but the messages there's and what she said in the documentary is too much technologics. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I don't know, computers, different technologics. We're focusing too much on that, and we have. And this to- is like a young, young kid saying it. Like it's not like it in the early nineties. Yeah, it's like it's not a word that you imagine this young child at this time frame to 
be saying that word and she's not saying it correctly mm-hmm. you know that is true mm-hmm. which shows it like it's kind of like it just popped in her brain right yeah she's like uh technologics you know mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. um but that kind of goes back to this pod other podcasts we're listening to mm-hmm. um well it's like parables mm-hmm. by octavia a butler yep um it's a retelling of the, the books and stories by Adrian Marie Brown mm-hmm. and Toshi Regan. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, following them on Instagram and then seeing that Adrian Marie Brown is interviewing the whale whisperer. Yes, yes. And this connection to whales mm-hmm. and aliens. Um, this connection to these ships coming out of the water. Mm-hmm. And why did the whales all beach themselves Mm -hmm. and the message is like too much technology and Mm -hmm. i don't know we're just here to dive into that that's all i'm saying Mm -hmm. we're not gonna get to it today no there's so much like that's you know that's what's spectacular about about finding out and not necessarily finding out because it's always been in our folklore but really accepting and understanding the reality of, do we say extraterrestrials, alien life forms? Like, I wonder I know how we encompass it, if it's possible to say it with, like, a one or two word thing. We'll figure out the right acronym yeah. later. Um, but just seeing how... NHBs. <laughs> NHBs for non-human biologics. That could work, yeah. But that's so rude. It's so rude. It's like we're coming at them with a non-human lens already. Already, you're right. <laughs> oh, damn. So hard. Uh, that Also, another shout-out to Octavia Butler for writing Dawn. I'm in the middle of that right now. Um, And so I don't know, like, I'm just halfway through and... I think I could say this. Part of it is um, about uh, aliens coming in and and selecting a handful of humans um, to to especially like essentially like rehabilitate for hundreds of years while um, the Earth is recovering from nuclear war, which is interesting, you know. Um, and so there's this other piece, sorry. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I'm just like, I'm just thinking it's so interesting that you like, you know, like I was like, what's an acronym that we can like call all of this because that is my human, Mm. like coming through the society and culture. And one of the things that Butler writes about is that the aliens take away our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, through this, like, they, they take away some diseases. Um, they kind of put us in this um, hibernation while they're doing all this work. And then they bring back, you know, like, they, they make, make wake all of these humans up um, to have, you know, it's like, yes, you were alive during this time. But it's your job to go back to the earth with with no culture, like no history, like restart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you know the aliens are communicating to the whales, um, and 
we need to there's a there's a lot that we're not doing great <laughs> we're not doing very good yeah and it doesn't mean we're a bad species but there's some things that we need to really re-examine that I think the aliens want to help us with. Yeah. It, there was another documentary that talked about how when they were doing nuclear testing um, and some bombs went off um, and what had went off should have destroyed so much more, but there was some force that absorbed it. Mm-hmm that they weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. And it was like to help us because we definitely messed up and we're going to yes. blow up too much stuff. Yes. And th there's often lots of UAP sightings around nuclear power plants, um, nuclear bombs, like any kind of like n uh, nuclear, not nuclear bombs, but um, waste those when there's, when there's waste energy, uh, nuclear reactor those failures, mm, you know. Like, failure sites? Yes, the failure sites. There will be lots of UAP sightings. Oh, because there's just, like, radiation coming off of it. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, that I believe happened during the tsunami in Japan. What was that, 2004, yeah. 2014, something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people saw UAPs. Yeah. There was hundreds of sightings. Mm -hmm. Right, so... That's what this podcast is about, mm -hmm. and I think we're we're heading to the end of the first one. Um, we probably want to end on a happier note, though, right? <laughs> I think that's quite lovely. You I like see, that? Well, I see, like you know, but I th they're like so. We have so many fear stories about aliens exploding the world. We saw Mars attacks, and you yeah. know, like. Um, I think really they're not they are not here to harm us. Yeah. And I think that's that's a beautiful thing to worth note about. Mhm. Mm yeah. Mhm. Mm I love that and the connection to the water. Mhm. Mm like water as a channel to communicate with the whales and the aliens. Mhm. Mm we should say we're both water signs. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Let's wrap it up. I think this was a great first episode. Mm -hmm. This was so lovely, Bright Star. Thank you, Dr. Radiant. And we'll see you next time mm -hmm. on Galactic Heartbeats. And shout out to Lossy Format for providing the audio on this podcast the intro music and the outro music and dr radiant and i are going to be experimenting with adding some field sounds in between the thoughts and the pauses we just rolled this one through the whole time mm -hmm. so maybe in the future we'll have segments where we'll like do like a a thinking segment oh yeah that sounds lovely
Hello and welcome to Galactic Heartbeats. I'm Bright Star. I'm Dr. Radiant. And today's episode is focused on the theme of how ghost lore intersects with aliens. And the way this theme came to us was through watching 31 horror movies, 31 Days of Horror in October. Mm-hmm. I say, I usually say horror, but yeah. then I'm self conscious about it because only New Yorkers say that. Well, whenever your New York accent comes out, it's very hot. So I hope our listeners get to hear it. Horror. 31 Days of Horror. There we go. Uh, Shout out to Christina for introducing me to this ritual. It starts on October 1st, and Halloween 1978 is the best movie to watch on Mm -hmm. October 1st. Mm -hmm. And then we just kind of go into any kind of Halloween movie every day. And it it did start with, like, slasher films and murder and all, like, we watched It. Oh, yeah, that's right. The original It. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we watched, I don't know. It's hard when you watch that many horrific movies (laughs) to remember all the distinct ones. But at some point, we started alien movies. We watched all the aliens. Mm -hmm. And then we watched, like, Poltergeist. And we were like, this is the same thing as aliens. Like, they take your energy... Or they get, or you get really cold Mm -hmm. and you get faint or there's creepy lights or the sound goes out and their movements, they zip. They do zip. Or they defy gravity. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these connections between ghosts and aliens. And so... Also, during that episode, I mean, that, sh- that like, like, what would you call 31 Days of Horror? That experience? Sure, like, it's a tradition, like, just this kind of ritual that we're doing. Yeah, at a certain point, you made a connection, Dr. Radiant. It's true. Would you like to share about that connection today? Sure, I would love to. Um, I think... Really what we were noticing through these 31 days of horror was how many times aliens, like the lore of aliens in film, also intersected with like the lore of ghost and paranormal, ghost paranormal stories, such as like the poltergeist. Um... It was quite, like, fascinating to start kind of thinking how certain stories, like, we were also listening to Spooked, a really incredible podcast, um, and it was this person, we, we were listening to it on a long drive during this time of really relating to all these different alien and paranormal stories, and in Spooked, there was a person telling a story, and I, I can't. Did they think it was a ghost? 
I yeah, think they, they did, right? Well, it, are you talking about the guy going up the mountain and hearing the voice of a woman telling him not to go up the mountain? <laughs> that, yes, that part of that. But there was also another one um, where the uh, thing he was noticing was featureless. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... We'll we'll link that particular spooked episode so y'all can listen to it and have your own thoughts and feelings around it. But while we were listening to it, we were really gravitating towards these telepathic thoughts. So, like, he kept kind of saying, if my recollection is correct, that the thought... He didn't necessarily hear them, but the thoughts popped into his brain. Which, for a lot of people who have alien encounters, speak of these telepathic moments where they're not hearing something, but it's, there's something else in their brain telling them something. Um, another one that's really common in ghost stories is a featureless woman in a long black cloak with sometimes red eyes, sometimes not. Um, but the key features being featureless woman in a long black cloak. Look, and what, you know, what we're understanding that why people assume this person is a womanly figure is our kind of societal perception of what a womanly figure looks like in the dark. And so usually kind of like more thin, um, I think like there's like a femininity kind of relation there. Um, so again, it's really interesting to note how the way that we have learned in society is putting a lens on how we're viewing different entities that we're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. Like we can't assume that this being is a woman just because she's thin. That's ridiculous for lots of different reasons. So, but that's how we're like telling stories and associating stories. And another big one is like a featureless face. Um, and again, that kind of begs the question is like, why is this face featureless? Is it really featureless? Or is it something that our brain cannot comprehend? And so in the moment of viewing something that can be perceived as traumatic, you're, you're not really seeing what is there. Yes. And that goes with losing a sense of time. Mm -hmm. Because when you have trauma or you're looking at something traumatic or you're going through something traumatic, you forget your sense of time. It really just doesn't exist. Correct. Yeah. And that's also a really big part of these reportings with ghost stories is a sense of lost time. And we know that with alien counters, there's a loss of time as well. With, um, so it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, parallels and you know things that are maybe the maybe the same yeah um mm -hmm. yeah the effects on humans trauma same for aliens and ghosts they're scary mm -hmm. these are the stories that we're telling ourselves at least there's a loss of time mm -hmm. and there's an existential crisis in a way mm -hmm. these are some of the human aspects of both ghost stories mm -hmm. and alien stories. Correct. And if you, if you all see the Encounters documentary, a big 
part of that documentary is people who have encountered aliens and talking about that existential crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you want to tell yours? <laughs> I do. I do, Bright Star. I do want to tell mine. So, listeners, um, we felt that for the second episode that, uh, well, really why a big part, I think, that have led us down this path of wanting to start a podcast um, was that I had a realization at the very beginning of 31 Days of Horror um, that through our folklore, so my realization was that I've encountered with an alien if, if you know, my nonverbal cues has picked that up and yet, but um yeah, they can't see your nonverbal cues. Yeah. I'm a little nervous <laughs> because, you know, it is November 9th that we're recording this, so it's not been a long time since I've come to this understanding. Um, and so I think I'm going to probably... Relive it? Relive it a little in retelling it. Um we should note, listeners, that um, we are we are podcasting in my closet, and so we have some lights up. Um, we're wearing some neon colors just to get the mood right and for the sound to be better too. <laughs> All the important things as for when you're podcasting at home. Yes, mm-hmm. we are in the studio. We are in the studio. <laughs> Ready to rip. Ready to rip. Okay. Here we go. So, um. I will say, just to give you a little more time. Thank you. We were halfway through, like, the second movie of 31 Days of Horror. And Dr. Radiant had to stop the movie and be like, okay, just need a break for a minute. And, like, left the room. Yeah. And, like, you didn't come back for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then you came back and were like, I had an alien experience. I can't talk about it yet. But I want to keep watching the movie. Yep. Yeah. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then, like, I, the next morning, you might have told me at coffee or maybe two or three days later. I feel like it was two or three days later. Like, I... It, it took me a little bit to process because... This story in itself, I have really kept to myself, um, even before I, you know, realized it was an alien encounter, because I thought I had encountered, like, a, a ghost spirit of some kind, and I thought it was malevolent. Is that how you say that word, malevolent? I think so. Yeah. Um, and so, you know... I was not comfortable sharing with people about a a a spirit who kind of felt like it tormented me for a night. It was definitely the scariest moment of my life, <laughs> I would say. Um but it it was with a, something that I could not describe, could not give reason to um and so I just really didn't talk about it. Um so this this encounter that I now understand it to be 
happened, I would say, seven or eight years ago. And I was house-sitting for a family I had known for quite some time um, on their farm. And I, I had house-sat for them many times. And there was always kind of this, like, foreboding at night. But I was a young person. And it was a farm in the middle of nowhere. And I was kind of used to being... Um, surrounded by lights or at least trees wherever I was living and so walking out in the middle of the night and and just seeing the expanseness of the world and darkness with no lights is gives I think a sense of foreboding some you know just a natural sense of it so I was quite familiar with this feeling and I did not really pay it that much attention um, also, this, this house that I was house-sitting for had a lot of little creatures inside to take care of, had farm animals outside, and a lovely three-legged dog named Ike. Um, and the house itself, uh, the husband was a, he was not a construction worker per se, but he owned a construction business. I can't ever remember what that, that word is. Like a contractor, I think is what it is, is the okay. name. And like, there's a joke about contractors, at least in my understanding, the community I was living in, that their house is never finished. Sure. Yeah. And so their house was not finished. The windowsills um, were just kind of like construction. You know, there were no blinds, which is an important element to the story, and no curtains. There were also three doors to the outside, and it was a it was kind of like a wraparound porch. There was the traditional front door that was never used, um, big red door with four little windows on the top. Then um, the kitchen, which was really quite the main part of the house, with a dining area where I did a lot of writing and painting. Again, next to a window that was not finished with no blinds or curtains. Nightmare. Um, then there was the kitchen door that led out to the porch, which led out to like where the chicken coop was. And that was like the most commonly used door. I used that door pretty much nonstop. Um, and then there was another door that I had used occasionally to take care of, um, I think they had like a pig or something in the other part. Wait a second. So you have a giant front door to yeah. a big expansive kitchen. Yes. A door to a chicken coop mm. and a door to a pig pen. It was a farm. <laughs> okay. Hey. So I would definitely be already in the corner like with a blanket like with my headphones on like calling eight friends like sure. seeing if anyone was home. Yeah. Yes. So thankfully I liked quite liked being by myself and I liked the the solitude, the solitariness of that place and because there were so many animals, like it was never quite lonely feeling or scary, especially Ike who was um not a scary dog by any means. He was a little little guy, but he was very companionable, you know. I just, you know, 
Yeah. It's good to have animal energy. Yeah. It's like really safe and healing. Exactly. Um, But yeah, there was a door, you know, so it was kind of by the laundry area that went out to the back end of the property. So three doors in this place. All of the windows, again, not finished. No blinds, no curtains. Um, And so there was one night that I had, I was staying there at this time. Like usually I would house it for the weekend, an occasional weekend here or there. And then they asked me to house it for about a week. And I was like, fuck yeah, I will love to house it for a week and be by myself. Um, and so I would say it was probably like day three of house sitting for them. I had gone into a rhythm. I had stocked the fridge you know, I was making my tea and doing my writing at night after working. I was, I was working as a cashier at a grocery store at this time. And, um, oh man, it's just always, it already makes me nervous just even getting to there. Uh, it sounds so dreamy. Yeah. The it, way you, you know, mm-hmm. spent your day and then, mm-hmm. and then night falls, right? Yes. Yes. And like my days would start so early. See, now I'm going to try and avoid talking about it. My night or my days would start early with the chicken coop, going to work for a full day. Like there was a lot of things to do on the farm. <sighs> okay. Anyways, so yes, I would make my tea. Um, I would do my writing, have my dinner. Ike's all taken care of. He's kind of like by by my side, a little snoozy little dog, very sweet. Um. And on this particular night, I was noticing that the, like, a lot of tapping at the window. Um, and again, if people aren't familiar with farmhouses, farmhouses tend to, like, sit, um, there's a, usually a wraparound porch, and they tend to sit up off of the ground. So, where the windows sit, it's not like where a normal window sits for a first story house. It's more like a story and a half. Like yeah. it's kind of like at the seven foot line okay. in terms of height, mm-hmm. um, which is an important detail of the story. Um, so maybe five feet at these, at these particular windows. And then there was a, another window in the living room that sat about seven feet high. It was a smaller window, kind of like one of those bathroom windows that you have, but for whatever reason they had it in the living room. Like a random rectangle window that's like up at the top, like Mm -hmm. reaching the ceiling. Yes. Why? They had an aquarium there at that wall that took up quite a bit of space. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And again, this is a contractor's house that they were able to like, kind of manipulate how they wanted it to be for their animal needs. I wish he wouldn't put a tiny window at the top of his room I and then do a aquarium. Wish. Yeah, and it, it wasn't like a fish aquarium, it was um they had a bearded dragon. Even worse. Even well, worse. Why worse, Bright Star? I just don't think they should be contained. Mm. But also, it's scary, like, continue. I didn't know that detail of the story, like... Oh, yeah. A bearded dragon in a tank under a tiny window at seven feet tall. Okay, continue. Okay, yeah, because you know, you know where that goes. So... I think many of us know where this goes. (laughs) 
really set it up. Okay, well, so I'm writing and drinking tea, um, and there's tapping on the window, and I'm like, oh, it's windy outside, because again, where I was living at the time, lots of trees at my window, tree movement across my window, tapping of trees on my window at my, at the place I was staying at, very normal, very, very familiar. And so as I'm in the writing zone, you know, like, especially when you're like creating something and there's an outside noise, you're like, fuck that. Like I got, I have something here. That was the kind of the zone I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ike was starting to get nervous, which made me nervous. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, there's no tree next to this window. There's bushes. There's bushes underneath the window. But there's not a tree. And then I went, what the fuck? Um, also should note that it was, there's a gate at the, at the end of this drive and a, and a very large tree, but not near the house in a way that could like touch the windows. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was where my car was parked was underneath a tree. And then there's a long drive to a gate that you have to open up in order to drive out. So... I realize on this farmhouse that there is something at the window tapping. Is this the tall window? It is still tall. It is still a tall window. It's not the big, that's not the seven feet tall window. Okay. But like the house is up on a, what is that called? A platform? Platform. Yeah. So it's not like your, when you see a window on a first story house and it's like waist, waist tall. It's like a bit, like a is tall it man. It's on the like water no it's a farm it's a farm but it's near it is near water it's yeah. near a large body of water yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so it's on those like stilts or yeah. whatever that yeah because flooding are flooding was really common it was on an the, island right yeah on an island and it's like this farmhouse was in the dip of the island it was down it was at the bottom of a very large hill oh wow mm-hmm. so i yeah it needed some lift okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But no, like, weeping willows, like, whipping the trees, like, on no. the window. It's, like, one of those big, lovely, I don't know what kind of trees those are, but, like, you know, it's a big, lovely tree, maple leaf tree, maybe, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I grab a knife. So, listeners, we're back in the kitchen with where I'm realizing something's tapping the window. Uh, dog is nervous. Not, dog is not yapping. This is a yappy dog. Dog is not barking. He is nervous, but he's making no noise. Don't love it. So I grab a knife. Naturally. Naturally. And and I and I go out there. Like a snake a steak knife or a butcher knife. Like a big fucking butcher knife. From the block. From the block. I just and I go out there. <laughs> and and God love Ike. He follows me out there. <laughs> you know he he is also like, what the fuck? But he does come out with me. Good job, Ike. Yeah, really seriously. 
so I go out there and I may have said who is there. I may have just like stood in the darkness listening. I think that's more likely. Uh, I remember looking at my car and really wishing I could get into it and leave. And, and in taking the tree beyond my car, but I didn't look up. I just looked around and I didn't see anything. Yeah. And, and I was, I was scared. Okay. And so I went back into the house, um... And I realized while standing in there holding a butcher knife in this house with no blinds and no curtains, that while it's dark in a landscape where you can, like, you know, when you drive, drive by a house and you can see directly into it because it's dark out and it's lit up inside. Yeah. Realize I'm doing that. So I turn off all the lights in the house. And I pick a spot in the living room where I can kind of keep an eye on the three entrances. Mm -hmm. I still have the knife in my hand. Mm -hmm. And Ike is now next to me, not making a sound, tucked into me, shivering. And I just remember, like, you know, this island doesn't have a lot of cell service. um, So I didn't have any cell bars. And I remember looking at the home phone in the kitchen, which felt like eons away from where I was sitting in the living room, keeping an eye on all these doors and just wishing so much to be able to call someone to come get me, but also being terrified to do it because I felt like if I called someone, they would surely die because of whatever was just this feeling of, of fear, this, this inescapable feeling of dread just completely filling up my body. Uh, and so while I'm sitting there and it, and it was early evening that this is happening. It wasn't very late. Um, I think, (laughs) I don't know. It was a very, it's hard to remember the time. Um, and so I don't know if it really matters because I don't really, I can't recall it really factually in any well, way. Well, that's part of the trauma mm-hmm. and the loss of time in these incidents. Yeah. So, I'm sitting there in the living room holding the knife, Ike cowering next to me, and that tiny window I was mentioning before, that's really high up. Um, a face enters the window. A featureless face. And it just, it stares at me for a long time. And I think I'm crying. I feel like I'm internally screaming, but knowing, like, not making any sound. Um, I am scared for my life. And, and this what I felt was a spirit at the time isn't looking away from me isn't really doing anything but is just looking at me and I I want to note as well because I feel like this is an important detail in the story 
that next door to this farm, next to this giant tree, lived a cow. And I think this, like, one of this, I think we were either watching a documentary series or something. Well, all of the alien stories, not all of them, a but... A lot of them. Most of them, many of them, are on farms, and there's cows yes. involved. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a cow right next door to the farm, and it's, in fact, on the side of where this creature is standing. So, mm-hmm. like, it's maybe, like, not even eight feet away where the cow lives, like, in its barn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, this this creature is staring at me. And, and I feel like it is there until sunrise. Um, and... And I remember when the sun finally, like, rose, the creature went away. And I I got into my car. I packed up all of my stuff. I got into my car. I drove home. And I never spent the night there again. I never went back there, really. Like, I finished house-sitting, but I only went in the early morning hours. As in, like, just, like, 7, 8 a.m. And I, I, and poor Ike got, like, the worst house-sitting experience. Um, I just didn't, I didn't, I couldn't do it. And I always kept the gate open. I think Ike was happy to have you there. Yeah. Like, I think he was glad you were there. And that he probably had a good house-sitting experience. Because he probably has that all the time. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And probably understood why I couldn't really come back afterwards. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, what I've, what I've come to realize is that this featureless creature I thought was floating by the window. I realized through these stories of aliens and through other people's encounters and even through ghost stories that I truly believe... The creature was an extraterrestrial. At first, did you think it was a ghost? Yeah. Or a spirit? A spirit, yes. And I thought it was, like, I even thought it was, like, a demon for a while. Mm-hmm. When I, when I retold it to a couple of people, they were like, that was a demon. When you think about it as an alien, mm-hmm. are you as scared as you think about it as a demon? No. When you think about it as an alien, what do you think it was doing? And what did it want mm. with you? I think he, it was just curious. You know, like, I think, I think it just, it's, it probably saw me I when I came out of the house. Um, I do believe now that it was in the tree, which we have learned in, in different alien documentaries who have people who have encountered aliens report seeing something in the trees. Um, I, I now really believe that it was in the trees when I came out. Um, and I think it just, it was just interested. It was curious. It didn't mean harm. It didn't mean to scare me. It was a, like, I imagine like if we went to a planet and saw a being, we'd probably want to look at it too. We, I mean, that's what we do at zoos, right? Yeah. It's and not also so different. 
our cat, Oshin, every yes, morning yes. likes to look at us through the window from outside while we have our morning coffee. Mm-hmm. That's his favorite ritual. Yeah, and he's quite calm and happy while doing it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't, I think this, this, this alien was just curious and looking. I wonder if it felt bad that you were like holding a knife in fear. <laughs> Probably, or yeah, I I don't know, it's, um. I'm putting human emotions Yeah, that's on the it. hard part, like, you know, maybe it found it interesting, or like, maybe it wasn't there for as long as it felt to me, you know. Yeah. Maybe it saw me in fear and left, but, like, my my human reaction was still to protect myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so many, like, variables, but I think the most important part to note is, like, the alien did nothing to me. I, uh, even though I felt dread and foreboding and it was the scariest night of my life... Um, that could have been from your, my personal human experience, like thinking, you know, I thought at first it was an intruder and then it was something I couldn't begin to comprehend. And so my immediate understanding was to think spirit. And then when I retold it to friends, some trusted friends, they're like, that's a demon. And then shared stories with me about their experiences that, quite frankly, now sound like alien experiences as well to me. Which um, is part of the reason mm-hmm. why we want to invite yes. others mm-hmm. to share their stories with us, just mm-hmm. like you so gracefully, graciously, and bravely <laughs> shared yours. Thank you, Bright Star. Yeah. Mm. Yes, very much want to hear other people's stories, whether it's seeing a UAP or something they don't understand, an alien, anything. Well, having an experience, this, yes, this idea was from the show Skinwalker Ranch, where on it, they have this guy, Junior Hicks, who was a science teacher who lived on the ranch. And Mm -hmm. Not Skinwalker, but the one next to it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, neighbor of the ranch. And he interviewed people, and he kept a binder. Mm-hmm. He had a template for his interview, mm-hmm. like every good teacher would. Yes. And on the show, they, like, the the grandson or something brings the binder to the Skinwalker Ranch alien, you know, researcher crew, um, and, and shows them this binder of this, like, stories of all the people who have had these alien encounters, and then they said they scanned them all in, which I'm like, where are these scans? Digitize them. Yeah, so continuing Junior Hicks's mission, uh, we'd like to document your events, in a binder. Um, so we made an email today. Oh yeah, we did. Dr. Radiant made an email and an Instagram. 
galacticheartbeats at gmail.com and galactic underscore heartbeats for your Instagram needs. Mm-hmm. Share your stories if you'd like, and we'll read them on this podcast. And if you'd like to be a guest on our podcast and tell us your encounter in that way, we would love to hear from you as well. Yeah, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to end with a poem, another another alien poem. Last time, Dr. Radiant read a poem about an Irish... It was an Ireland UAP experience. Correct. The first ever recorded in 745... 43 CE. 743 CE. (laughs) This poem is called The Universe, Original Motion Picture Soundtrack. And it's by Tracy K. Smith. It's in a poetry book called The Future of Black, Afrofuturism... Black comics, and superhero poetry. All right, here we go. The Universe, original motion picture soundtrack. The first track still almost swings. Hi-hat and snare. Even a few bars of sax, the stratosphere will single out soon enough. Synthesize strings. Then something like cellophane, Breaking in as if snagged to a shoe. Crinkle and drag. White noise. Black noise. What must be voices bop up then drop like metal shavings. In molasses. So much for us. So much for the flags we board. Into planets dry as chalk for the tin cans we filled with fire and rode like cowboys into all we tried to tame. Listen. The dark we've only ever imagined, now audible, thrumming. Marbled with static like grisly meat, a chorus of engines churns. Silence taunts, a dare. Everything that disappears, disappears as if returning somewhere. Mm. Wow. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Galactic Heartbeats.